Father, we thank you that uh, you have you have enabled us and invited us to come into your presence, Lord. That you've opened the door and that you've made a way that we can approach you through praise and worship, through singing songs of adoration, through your word. That you that you have made, as as Kathy shared, uh, a place for us, a place of safety, our safe place. And it's right there in front of you in your presence. So, Lord, we welcome you this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray your anointing uh, on the message as well as this entire day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, last week I began the study of uh, Galatians. We're looking at the book expositorily. In other words, we're going to go, go through the whole book uh, piece by piece and kind of let it direct the flow of the uh, of the the message. <clears throat> so if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians. Last week we uh, got through chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at chapter 2 today. Uh, I do encourage you to actually, since you know what I'm going to be preaching on, you know the text, please take the time to read through Galatians and uh, uh, kind of figure it out. Read it in several translations. Look up some commentaries, if you will, and and kind of get an idea, and then come and see if what I talk about makes any connection with what you read. <laughs> see if, Because, you know, you can go in a lot of different directions, and uh, I'm just trying to follow the lead that I feel the Holy Spirit leads me in the direction of uh, looking through the chapter. So we're going to look at chapter 2, <clears throat> picking up from Paul's uh, discussion that he started last, that we started uh, looking at last week in chapter 1, where he gave... Um, the credentials that he had for his authority uh, uh, to confront the Galatians concerning their error. And um, in uh, verse chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, he, this is the confrontation that he writes to the Galatians. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from Him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And so it's a very serious issue that he's, he's addressing the perversion of the gospel and errors that they have accepted. And just some observations. A big, big part of uh, studying Scripture is making observations and then building our understanding of the Scripture from that and from that observation and interpretation, uh, gaining uh, how do we apply it, application. And some, some big observations at chapter 2. I'm not going to take the time to read through the whole chapter. Um, but the, there's three geographic regions that are addressed um, in, in verses 1 through 10. He's talking about something that happened in Jerusalem. Everybody say Jerusalem. Uh, we're all familiar with Jerusalem. So it's still a city today. And, uh, and so it was, a, it was an event that happened in Jerusalem. And then the second part is from verse 11 down to the end. And he actually talks about an encounter or an episode that happened in Antioch. Say Antioch. Yeah, Antioch was another city. It actually became the hub of Christianity later uh, uh, on. And, uh, it was a city north of Jerusalem. <clears throat> and, and so there was an event that happened. So that's the second geographic region. And of course, the geographic region of Galatia, which I explained last year, or last year, last week, <laughs> seems like a year ago, <laughs> was even as a, a, a part of Europe. And this is the uh, region, the geographic region that the, church is, uh, that the letter is addressed to, the churches in Galatia. There's also three groups of characters uh, that are in this story, if you will, of chapter 2. And the first group is Paul and Barnabas and Titus. 
And so these are, this is, uh, uh, Paul's team he talks about. <clears throat> um, let's see here. Uh, in the beginning, um, he says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And so we have Paul, Barnabas, and Titus, and that's Paul's team. Uh, and they went to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, and then later in Antioch, <clears throat> they encountered some other people. And that would be James, Peter, and John. These are the apostles. Uh, we all should be familiar with James was the brother of the Lord Jesus uh, and uh, became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, Peter was the, one of the disciples of Jesus as well as John, uh, the beloved. <coughs> and and uh, he encountered all three of them in Jerusalem. And then later, uh, uh, Peter shows up in Antioch. We'll talk about that in a minute. <coughs> and then the third group of characters, so the first group of characters, Paul's team. Second group is the apostles at Jerusalem, James, Peter, and, and uh, John. And then this group he refers to as the false brethren. All right? And he doesn't name them. But he just says there's this group. Uh, and one uh, translation that's uh, translated spies pretending to be Christians who had infiltrated the church. Literally, that's the picture. Uh, Paul, it's really what happened. It was people who pretended to be Christians that had infiltrated the church in Jerusalem and, and in Galatia and in Antioch as well, as a matter of fact, is the point he's making. In another translation, they're called so-called Christians or false ones. So here we have people that Paul is identifying as people who put on the appearance of being Christians but are not actually Christians and are causing significant troubles. And that's what he's addressing. And then we also see, I, I see in this chapter, in addition to the three geographic regions, the three groups of characters, I see three, uh, chapter 2 broken into three sections. And it's this, this, is the, this is the outline that we're going to follow this morning. The three sections of chapter 2 uh, that I see. The first section is clearly 1 through 10. Uh, probably in your Bible it's broken up into a paragraph. And that's what happened at Jerusalem. So, uh, the first section is what happened at Jerusalem. Alright? Say, what happened at Jerusalem? We'll talk about that in a minute. <clears throat> the second section begins in 11, uh, verse 11 and forward, and that's what happened to Antioch. Say, what happened to Antioch? We'll see in a minute. Okay? When there's a third section, I see, and that's verse 18 through 21, and that's what happened in Paul. Say, what happened in Paul? We'll get to that, hopefully. <laughs> so I really do want to kind of zoom through what happened in Jerusalem and zoom through what happened in Antioch if I can, because all of that is Paul's introduction to the issues or the, 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 the struggle uh, the, that uh, he is, uh, addresses both here and through the rest of the book. He's kind of presenting the case that happened. So uh, verses 1 through 10... <clears throat> of Galatians. Uh, let me read this. I think we have time. <clears throat> it says, Then after 14 years, I went again to uh, Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went, by, I went up by revelation. I'm reading from the New King James, verse 2. <clears throat> I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, least by any means I might run, might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus 
that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me, God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was for Peter, <clears throat> was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, another name for Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived that grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only desired that, <clears throat> uh, they desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. And so that's the portion of the uh, a passage that deals with what happened in Jerusalem. Uh, he took uh, Barnabas, who was a respected Jewish Christian. All right, Barnabas was a Jew. Uh, had been a Jew his whole life. Okay, he was born a Jew, and not only a Jew, but he was a respected Jewish leader that had converted to Christianity uh, even before Paul. He was he actually tutored Paul at some at early in Paul's life, and and Barnabas kind of called Paul uh, alongside, and they worked together. <clears throat> so all of the apostles knew Barnabas; they all respected him as a uh, a Jewish believer. And then Titus, though, was an uncircumcised Greek. Okay, he was a Gentile, as Gentile as you can get. And so, he had not grown up in a Jewish household. He had not grown up uh, following the Jewish customs, and he was not circumcised. And Paul may have intentionally brought both of them, uh, representing uh, kind of both sides of the table, if you were. Or if you will, if you look at it that way. While they were there, the issue of requiring Gentile converts um, to become circumcised was brought up. And the issue of Gentile converts becoming circumcised and thus becoming converts to Judaism as part of their conversion to Christianity was brought up by those Paul calls the false brethren. All right, to understand all that, we're going to talk a little bit about circumcision. It says, um, and this, this is for, I, was, I was going to try to withhold saying this, but I can't, can't help it. So this is one reason why I tend to shy away from expository preaching. Because, I mean, who likes to preach about circumcision? Who likes to talk about it? <laughs> but, hey, it's in the Scripture. I got to. So, we're going to talk about circumcision. Kids are in the kids' church. <clears throat> Alright. So, circumcision is the initial rite of passage for all males born uh, uh, of Jews, uh, as a Jew, and all who convert to Judaism. Alright? And so, it's extremely significant uh, to the religion to their culture, to their nationality. A, per, a man, if he was not circumcised, even though he kept every other aspect of the law, would not be a part of God's people. Okay? This is how fundamental it was. It was the beginning. It identified uh, uh, someone who was part of the Old Covenant from those who were not. Uh, whether they were born a Jew and were circumcised on the eighth day, or whether they converted to Judaism 
and were circumcised at whatever age that they were converted. It was the initial rite. And I could talk a lot about the significance of circumcision and actually think about it. Uh, there's, there's much to be unpacked, but I don't want to do that. The issue at hand was that there were some people saying that Gentile converts had to become Jews in order to be Christian. Okay? Had to become circumcised and become Jews, be converted to Judaism uh, and in order to become uh, true followers of the Messiah. <clears throat> um, so what was, what was being discussed was not only the act of circumcision, but this idea that in order to be a Christian, in order to be a follower of the Messiah, you had to first become a Jew and, and join to the people of the covenant with God through whom the Messiah had come. All right? And for, you gotta think, for thousands of years, the Jewish people and Jewish religion and these people, they were, some of them were genuine converts of Christianity, some of them were actually Jewish believers trying to, uh, the false brethren trying to corrupt Christianity or derail it. <clears throat> Paul's response, oh, one more point, becoming a Jew involved more than just circumcision, that was just the beginning. It would then require all of the requirements of of, of Judaism, including the dietary laws, all of the rituals, all of the sacrifices, all of that stuff, all right, that was part of the old covenant that identified the Jewish people as distinct from uh, the rest of the nations. And Paul's response to this requirement is very clear in, 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 in verse 5 of chapter 2. He says, We refuse to give in to them, this is from the New Living Translation, we refuse to give in to them for a single moment. Alright? To this idea. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message to you. Now, in this section in, in Jerusalem, when he went up and met with the apostles and this issue came up, he says, in, and we learn in verse 9, that, that James, Peter, and John accepted Paul's ministry and the message and, and even re- accepted them as equals to their own. Paul and was considered in Barnabas, and what they were teaching was equal in authority to Peter's message, to John, to James. In verse 9 it says, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift that God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. Okay, they were equal. And they encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews, because they were based in Jerusalem. Now, Acts 15 if you're a student of the Bible, if you've read the New Testament, you should be aware of this. Acts 15 records a very similar account. And I encourage you to read through Acts 15 after you read through Galatians or at the same time. Because in Acts, the same issue is dealt with. The same people are involved. All right, And Peter, James, and James uh, uh, clearly agree with Paul and they make it uh, uh, concerning the Gentile issue and circumcision. The account in Acts is very clear. What's not clear is if what's recorded in Acts 15 is what Paul is referring to here. All right? Or if it was a separate event that occurred either before or after Paul wrote the book of Galatians. All right? So that's a little, and if you read different translations, different commentaries, they'll approach it from different perspectives. Some think Paul's describing what happened in Jerusalem, but there's some reasons to believe that this is actually a separate earlier or possibly even a later event that he's describing. But the point is, the chronology, bless you, the chronology of the events don't change what's being taught. Okay? So it doesn't really matter. 
I spent days trying to figure this out, and then I realized it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter which what happened first, because that's not the point of the message. That's not the point of this chapter. That's not what Paul, that's not what Paul was communicating to the Galatians. And we want to know what Paul was communicating to the Galatians. The timing of the events only matters if you're trying to figure out why Peter seems to flip-flop. Okay? <clears throat> like politicians. On this issue. Because that is a little hard to understand. And so that's why sometimes we, we try to figure this out. But the, what Paul was communicating in Galatians, it doesn't matter about the chronology. Okay, that covers section number one. Section number two is uh, verses 11 forward. So let me just read through this and then we'll talk about it. It says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For certain men came from James, for before certain men came from James, he, Peter, would eat with the Gentiles, which is a clear violation of Judaic law. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We, who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. That's actually a quote from Psalm 143. But if, verse 17, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners. Is Christ, therefore, a minister of sin? Certainly not. And so we see an encounter that Peter and Paul had when Peter visited Antioch. Um, we don't know again, and I say when, and we don't know if this was, if Paul's talking about an event that happened prior to, that led to uh, him going to Jerusalem and talking to Peter with James and John. Okay, so this event actually could have happened prior. In other words, he's, he says what happened in Jerusalem and then he tells us why. Or it could be subsequent. It's really not clear. Again, it doesn't matter. What we do know is that <clears throat> um, in the earlier passage, Peter had agreed with Paul uh, and accepted uh, the acceptance of Gentiles without requiring them to be Jews and without requiring circumcision. Yet here we see Paul acting differently. This is the point. Even whether it was before or after, it doesn't matter. He was acting hypocritically. Peter was acting hypocritically. Okay, say hypocritically. Say it three times really fast. <laughs> when the other Jewish believers came to Antioch, possibly along with some false brethren, Peter and the other Jewish Christians, even Barnabas, who was close to Paul and preaching the name of God, they began to eat separately according to Jewish traditions. And some people think that this even applied. They even did communion separately. The very uh, the celebration of the unity of the body of Christ. Okay? Then this outraged Paul. Uh, because he saw the hypocrisy of it. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2.14, says, when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the Gospel. So what Paul's issue is, is 
clearly communicating the truth of the Gospel, what the Gospel means. And this is what this is all about. I said to Peter before them, if you being a Jew live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? In other words, why was it okay for Peter to act like a Gentile eating with them and not following the strict code of ritual laws required of Jews before the other Jews showed up? Alright? Why was that okay? He was asking Peter. And if it was okay for Peter to do that, why was he now requiring the Gentiles to live as Jews? Or this can be translated to become Jews by Peter acting in agreement with those requiring the Gentiles to be circumcised. So Peter was acting one way when the other Jews were around and then he started acting differently and, and Paul says, what are you saying by your actions? Peter was presenting a double standard. And Paul called that hypocrisy. Alright, now listen here, please. Please follow on. This whole episode, Paul's story about the conflict with the false brethren concerning circumcision in Jerusalem and the conflict that happened in Antioch, uh, Peter separating himself and the other Jewish Christians, is what Paul is using to explain to the Galatians the error the Galatians were making. Okay, So Paul's leading up trying to communicate to the Galatians. Paul was not writing to Peter. Okay, Paul was not writing to the apostles in Jerusalem. He's saying, hey Galatians, this same mistake that you made, this is, this is how it was played out in Jerusalem, this is how it was played out in Antioch, and then he's going to address how, it's, how to respond to it in, in, in Galatia and the rest of the book. <clears throat> it's important to understand that that's the issue. That's the purpose he brings up, these two examples. And it was such a serious error that Paul was willing to stand up to Peter. I mean, there was no one as respected as Peter in the early church. He walked with Christ. He walked on water. Come on. Alright? And he was the first one to preach the message of the Gospel to the Gentiles. It was to Peter that God showed the revelation that the, the Gentiles were made clean. Okay? What was unclean is clean. Don't call what I have made clean unclean. In the book of Acts, you can read about this. And so he stood up to Peter because it was such a significant issue. It was such a significant issue that in Acts 15, he brought it up in front of the entire uh, council of the church leadership. And there's a quite a, a lengthy part of Acts that's uh, just devoted to ex- explaining how this uh, doctrine was clarified. Resulting in the decision that Gentiles are not required to become Jews. How many are happy of that? Alright? Because I'm a Gentile. Praise God. I don't have to become a Jew. Become a Christ follower. <clears throat> now, Galatians 15-17, through 17, I've already read it, uh, it says, We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. But if If, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. This is Paul's response to Peter. This is Paul's theological answer to why Peter was being hypocritical. Okay, He says that they, the Jewish Christians, himself and Peter, had come to the knowledge that it was through faith in Jesus Christ and not by the works of the law, that they were made right, that they were justified. 
And if that was true of those born Jews, then it is also true of those who were born Gentiles. And verse 17 means that if all of the requirements of the ritual law of Moses still applied, and they were not adhering, Peter and Paul were not adhering to those laws, and they weren't because they were eating with Gentiles, they were not requiring circumcision. But if all of those still applied, then that would mean that their life in Christ was actually causing them to sin. Okay? Is Christ, in the New King James, is Christ the minister of sin? Certainly not. Does that mean that Christ promotes sin in the NIV? Does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Certainly not. Okay, this was the, this was the force of the argument that Paul presented to Peter. That it was absolutely unacceptable to propose that following Christ in any way would cause someone to violate God's moral law. He said, Peter, don't you realize that that would be saying that following Christ uh, leads people into sin. And it was that truth that Peter responded to because evidently we see in this book and in Acts that he agreed with Paul. That you're right. Gentiles don't need to be circumcised. That righteousness is through faith and not through the works of the law. So this idea that following Christ does not promote in any way uh, sin was the crux of the argument. Are you hearing me? Okay, It's what shook Peter out of his hypocrisy. All right, The absurdity of the idea. And it made him go, yeah, oh, of course. Yes, I understand. Okay, what happened in Paul? And this is what I wanted to get to. Because this is, this is, I think, what the whole chapter leads up to. It says, and, and we, we notice a difference here. Previously, he's talking about we. But in verse 18 through 21, he changes to I. Alright? And the things of the kingdom often occur in you and I. Alright? This is where it really matters. And Paul brings it down, the theological argument, down to the personal experience. And he says, let me share what happened in me and why, why I believe this and why I live this way. He says, if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes to the law, then Christ died in vain. Let me just talk about each one of these powerful verses. This is in verse 19. For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. It sounds, sounds kind of hard to understand, but it's really, really just quite simple and clear. Paul sees that the end result of the law is death. And do you know that that was always the case? That was always, a, that's why there are so many animal sacrifices. Please read through the Old Testament. Okay? And if you do like I do and I read, I'm like, man, they are killing animals all day long. Why? Because God was making his point that the law reveals sin and sin leads to death. Okay? That's the point. But Paul followed that a step further. He embraced the death and realize it meant death to self. It had to be not something outward, but inward. And that He had to die 
in order that he could experience the life of God. Alright? The result uh, of the law was never righteousness, but the knowledge of sin which leads to death. And Paul communicates here that he got it. That in experiencing this death, he was made alive to God. In verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Crucified with Christ means literally impaled in the company of, co-crucified with Him. He says it in Romans this way. He says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, Jesus, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. The law does not free us from sin. Only being crucified with Christ is the way to be made truly free. Paul says in verse 21, I did not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Listen, please. Paul, for Paul, grace was the means to righteousness. Not the law, but grace led to righteousness. Right? Alright. And if grace does not produce righteousness, then death of Christ was in vain. What a powerful argument to say that Paul said then Christ dying on the cross was in vain. Now I'd like to bring this down and make an application. A couple of applications. It's unlikely that any of us here really struggle with the issue of circumcision. Alright? Occasionally a parent will ask me, and I'll say it. it's absolutely meaningless on a religious level, you know, because they have a, a son. It has no meaning whatsoever. Religiously. Why people still do it is beyond me. Okay? <clears throat> I've talked to doctors, and they're like, why do people do that? Alright? No one expects us to adopt the whole Jewish legal system. Alright? Although there is still segments in Christianity that get this very, very confused. And I encounter them all the time. And they're basically confused. All right, <clears throat> which I tell them. What we do struggle with, though, is substitutes for the reality of what God has called us to in Christ. All right, substitutes for the reality of what God has really called us to in Christ. Do you settle for a legalistic religion instead of a living relationship with the person, the Lord Jesus Christ? Okay, legalism, outward rules instead of living relationship is a big issue in some people. Or do you add something that is not that is not based on scripture, not based on the gospel, but based on your nationality or your ethnicity? Okay? Because that was the issue that Paul, that Paul was uh, addressing. It was something that was not part of the gospel, but part of the ethnicity and nationality of the Jews. And you see that and we do that as Americans and it's and it's and it's disgusting. Okay, we have to be very clear to separate what's gospel and what's what's Americanism. All right, but for others, it's misunderstanding of the totality of what we are called to. And this is this is what I really want to emphasize and we'll close with. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. What does that mean? It means that I have no life apart from or outside of Jesus Christ. All right? There is nothing 
that is exempt from my relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing unaffected. Nothing my own. No part of my being, my action, my thoughts, my words, or my deeds that is not directly and inseparably connected to the person of Jesus Christ. And I ask you, is every aspect of your life right now, as Paul says, in the flesh. Everybody say, in the flesh. So he's talking about what you do with your natural body, with your mouth, with your mind, with your hands. Not just some spiritual condition. He's saying, is every, I mean, I'm asking you, is every aspect of your life right now, in the flesh, as Paul says, a representation of the life of Christ? As I died, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. If not, then you're, and if, if every aspect of your life is not a representation of the life of Christ, then you are, in essence, making the same mistake, the same error that Peter made. Peter was mistaken, and Paul called him to account. He acted one way around the Gentiles and another way around the Jews. Paul called that hypocrisy and compared it to calling the crucifixion of Christ in vain. Paul, uh, Peter was acting holier than thou. All right? And Paul compared it to calling Jesus' death on the cross vanity. How much worse can I propose to you and I ask you, how much worse is the opposite and more common mistake that I see amongst Christians today when we act like those still lost in sin and think it doesn't matter because we are Christians? Paul says grace is the means to righteousness. And if grace isn't the means to righteousness, then Christ died in vain. When we consider aspects of our lives off-limit to Christ, and think that we can retain this part or that part and still be His. Is that not the same mistake that Peter was making? Are we missing out on the totality of what Paul was calling us to and what the Gospel really means? That your life is now filled with the life of Christ. That you have no life apart from Christ. And that in your flesh, the life that you have is an expression of Christ's life in you. The righteousness that God offers in Christ, okay? The righteousness, and we'll talk more about what I mean by righteousness in the chapters to come. But the righteousness that Christ offers in Christ, that, that the gospel offers in Christ, is unobtainable, unobtainable apart from Jesus. That's grace, okay? The righteousness that God offers in Christ is unobtainable apart from Jesus. That's grace. Say, that's grace. Okay, the demonstration of living rights. Righteousness. In every aspect of our life without hypocrisy. That is the same grace. Amen. So I have a few announcements for you this morning. If you're a guest with us today, we just want to say welcome. And we have a gift for you at the connection counter. If you just tear off the connection card on your bulletin and take it back there, we'd love to give you a gift just to say thanks for coming. And if you've been a guest recently and haven't done that yet, it doesn't have to be your first time today to do that. So uh, welcome. 
Um, so upcoming in July, there's going to be a class on hearing the voice of God that you guys can attend. It's a Saturday thing from 9.30 to noon, I believe, on uh, July 9th. Uh, guest speakers coming in. I mean, big names. Me and Mark Morris. Just kidding. <laughs> um, uh, I think it's going to be good. I think you'll like it and get a lot out of it. And if not, you can. your money is fully refundable because it's free. Um, there's a youth retreat coming up in August. We're highlighting it now because there's a $10 deposit due next week. So make sure you get that in if you're going to the youth retreat or if you have a youth going to the youth retreat. Um, Lost and Found Table is going to be donated after today, so you might want to check that out. Capiche? All right. So we are getting ready for an offering, which I'm going to pray for in a minute. But this week's offering is special. Um, Last week, uh, Dan Jeffries told us about an orphanage in Cambodia that um, some of his family members are involved in. And with it being Father's Day, what better way to express God's father heart than to give... um, you know, kids who don't have a dad. So um, if you want to give toward that ministry, you can just write on the envelope Cambodia or something similar to that, and it'll go there. Cool? So I'm going to pray the ushers can come forward. And while I pray, you can make out your envelope or do what you do. All right? God, thanks so much for this morning, Lord, just for your word, um, that it's the story of how real people figured out what you meant, <laughs> what you were doing how you were moving in the early church, God, and you're doing that here. You're moving, God, and we can follow you, that you're living and active, God. Your word is living and active, and we can um, just understand what it means to follow you and who you really are, Lord. It's not a set of rules or, you know, activities or things we need to do, Lord, although all of that happens. Um, It's about your heart. It's about connecting with you and living relationship with you, God, and being in touch with your grace. So, Lord, we give to you this morning and this offering um, our tithes, our offerings, Lord, and we just want to um, just honor you, that you provide for us, that we trust your provision, God, and that we give out of that trust. We worship you in this way, Lord, and we just ask that you would bless the ministries that are given to both New Day, uh, the Cambodian Orphanage, and all the ministries we support, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today is Father's Day, and we want to bless the fathers. Ken and Lisa, you can come on up. Um, and while they're coming up, uh, Ken's going to sing a couple of songs. And uh, uh, in the context of that, uh, I'd also just like fathers to stand. Uh, we want to bless and pray for you. Uh, if you're a father, stand. <laughs> All right. And uh, uh, fatherhood is a unique call, and it uh, places much demands on a person's life, and it's good that we honor fathers. And, um, <clears throat> and also, Ken, is, I think this is a perfect timing because Ken is the founding pastor of this church, and so in essence, he is a spiritual father uh, to all of us, and certainly to myself, as uh, he was instrumental in my uh, growth as a Christian and, and, and in the ministry, and so I see Ken as a spiritual father and So would you join with me in prayer? Lord, we thank You so much for the fathers, uh, those that are here, those that are elsewhere, those that may have passed on. Uh, Lord, we thank You for our natural fathers and our spiritual fathers. And Father, we thank thank You that uh, through them we get a glimmer, a glimpse of the the abundance of Your heart of, of, uh, of being the life giver, the Abba, the Father that we all have and that we can turn to. 
And so we honor and bless these fathers and we honor and bless and thank you that we've been called into relationship with you as our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, Amen. So Ken has a new song about fatherhood and then take it away.
Well done. I can listen to that stuff all day, man. <laughs> That's good. Huh? No disrespect, actually. It's respect to John Kelvin. I think he would be. I think he's rocking in his grave when the Holy Ghost moves along with Luther and all of them. So, <clears throat> uh, uh, thank you, Ken and Lisa. What an awesome. And thank you for being you. Amen? Thank Ken and Lisa for being you. Birthing this church. Church wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Ken. So thank you as a spiritual father. And we do have our prayer ministry available, our prayer team on this side. If you have prayer need whatsoever, please come up and receive prayer. If you have a chronic condition in your body, you need chronic prayer. How, how often should you get prayer for a sickness? Until it's healed. You understand that. You just keep asking. God doesn't mind. And, it, and it's good for you. And, and we believe God heals and we see healing all the time. Or if there's just a need, it doesn't have to be a physical need. It could be any need whatsoever. Or just you want more from God. On this side, we have our prophetic team. People are trained to hear God's voice and simply share with you what they feel God would say to you. So it's a powerful ministry to get a direct word from God through uh, people that are connected and, and, and then you take it home and listen to it and evaluate it. Otherwise, please stand. <coughs> Greet one another. God bless you. You are dismissed. Check out uh, the donuts and coffee uh, in the family room. And don't forget the lost and found because it won't be there next week. God bless you all.